Today's passage comes from two books, book of Matthew and book of Ephesians. Um, short verses, uh, just uh, earmark Ephesians after I read from Matthew. So please, please rise as we read from Matthew verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 13 and 14. Then we're going to shoot over to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're actually going to read from verses 1 to 4. Okay. All right. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 13 and 14. Then children were brought to him that he may lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such things belongs the kingdom of heaven. All right, okay, let's shoot over Ephesians, chapter 6, and we're actually going to read verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instructions of the Lord. This is the reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, In our current uh, teaching series, Kingdom Vision, we've been exploring what it means when we say we want to see the kingdom of God come into our homes. Now today, uh, we are going to address our role and our responsibility as parents. Now, uh, just a few qualifications before we begin. Uh, Two, the first is this. I understand that everyone here in this room might not be a parent. Uh, Even though you're not a parent, I want to assure you that this message is still for you. For two reasons. Number one, Even though you're not a parent now, you might be a parent in the future. But more importantly, number two, even though you're not physically or biologically a parent, you still share in the burden and responsibility of raising children, the children of this congregation in the Lord. Do you recall that when children are baptized, we together as a congregation, we take a vow and just as a reminder, this is the vow that we take, right? We, we ask all the congregation to stand up and, you, and we say, do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of this child, right? And by taking this vow, what are we saying? That we're saying that we as a covenant community, that we belong to each other, we are accountable for each other, and that this child who is being baptized We have a responsibility towards. You know, if you think about Jesus, you know, Jesus wasn't married. He wasn't a parent. But time and time again, we find Jesus welcoming children, teaching children, and spending time with children. He cared for other people's children as if they were his own. Because in his kingdom, they were his own. See, in the kingdom of heaven, we believe that we all belong to God and that we belong also to each other. And so, even though you might not be a parent, maybe you have no intention of being a parent, this message is still for you. The second qualification is this. 
I understand that when it comes to parenting, um, you know, parenting is quite a sensitive issue. Whether you're confident in your parenting skills or you're insecure about how you raise your children, no one likes to be told how to raise their children. Right? It's a lot like people commenting on how you drive. Right? It, it, you don't, that's something you don't comment on. Don't talk about my driving. Don't talk about my parenting. But friends, the truth of the matter is uh, the manner in which you parent, it's coming from somewhere. Whether a cultural ideology or a pedagogical strategy or something that was handed down to you, your parenting, you're getting it from somewhere or someone. Now, the alternative I'd like to raise, the alternative is for us to listen to what God has to say. God, who is not a parenting guru trying to sell books, but God who is infinite, all-knowing, and a God who is actually invested in you, a God who loves you, and who loves your children more than you can think or imagine, is telling you how you ought to parent. God, who is deeply invested in you, who has actual skin in the game, He's giving us wisdom as to how to parent the children who are among us. And so the alternative is, would you listen to Him? Today, um, I want to break up uh, today's message into three parts using very familiar language, and um, this is somewhat of the outline. First, I want to explore um, the vision of parenting. In other words, what's the goal, right? What's the end goal of parenting? Uh, The second, uh, I'd like to look at the mission of parenting. In other words, if we know what the goal is, how can we get there? What's the method of arriving there? And finally, I want to look at the redemptive aspects of parenting and in many ways to try to to give motivation and encouragement uh, in our parenting towards our children and the children in our congregation. So first, the vision. What is the goal of parenting? If we were to ask parents today, what is the goal of parenting? What is the end game? What is it that you're really seeking through parenting? You'll get a variety of answers. And I think the, the wide range of answers we can divide into four categories. And here are the four categories that, that I think I, that, that can really sum up what parenting, uh, the goal of parenting is or has become. Number one, um, if you ask parents, what's the goal of parenting? Some would say uh, it's to be the best parent so that my children can realize the greatest potential in their lives, right? I call this the, uh, the marine answer or the marine parent, right? To be the best of the best, right? It's, or, or maybe more familiar term, uh, tiger parenting, right? Where you want to bring out the greatest potential in your children. Many will say the goal of parenting is to realize potential, the greatest potential. Some parents would say, no, you know what? The goal for me, parenting, is about happiness. It's to allow my children to just be happy. That's all I want. If the first kind of parenting uh, is tiger parenting, this kind I call it free-range parenting. You just let the kids be happy. Let let them do what they want to do. Let them off. Free-range parenting. 
Some people will say, no, you know what? For me, the goal of parenting is about balance. It's about providing a well-balanced life, physically, emotionally, psychologically, socially. We, we want our children to be balanced. I call this uh, the Jenga parenting, right? Where every little thing you try to balance to make sure that the, the children have a good grasp of every little thing. Um, and the fourth kind, uh, some parents would say, no, the goal of parenting is opportunity. It's to, it's to offer the most opportunity. Now, this is uh, the Kobe Bryant uh, parenting, right? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? I want to provide as much opportunity to my children as possible and to let them figure it out, let them do it. Now, depending on your personality, uh, your children's ability, your aspirations, your circumstances, your abilities, your resources, you'll find yourself, I think, fluctuating between one of these four categories. However, if we look at the Bible, the goal of parenting, according to Scripture, is actually completely different and actually much more simple. And if we can ask, what is the goal of parenting according to the Bible, I think Matthew 19, 14 sums it up best. This is what Jesus says. He says this, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. You see, the goal of parenting, according to Scripture, is not who they become or what opportunities our children have or the life that they live The goal of parenting is not how they feel. We want them just to be happy. But the goal of parenting is about who they meet. And if I can add a fifth category, according to Scripture, the goal of parenting is about encountering, letting our children go to Jesus. And this is I call gospel parenting. See, this is what I mean when I say that the goal of parenting is actually much more simple. We want to see our children go to Jesus. That is the end goal. Or to frame it another way, the reason why God has put under our care the children of our church is so that we can lead and assist them to meet their Lord and Savior. See, the vision of parenting is quite simple. It's not simplistic, but it's actually really, really simple. It's so that the children may go to Jesus. That's the vision. You know, Matthew 19 actually gives us a window into how children were viewed and treated back in Jesus' time. As children are coming to Jesus, we find that the disciples, they offer a rebuke. They're thinking, wait, we shouldn't bother Jesus with these children. Jesus is too busy. He's too tired. And this attitude that the disciples had was actually reflective of the general view that people had towards children during Jesus' time. See, children during first century Palestine were viewed or considered to be less than second-class citizens. Children were viewed as free or cheap labor. They were vulnerable, 
often exploited. And so, of course, think about all these children, right? These poor palace or poor children living in first century Palestine going to Jesus, right? All dirty, mucked up, and they're running to Jesus, and the disciples are saying, no, get these children away. Why? Because these children, they have no influence, they have no power, they have no resources, they're, they're a waste of time, and they're saying, no, don't, don't bring them next to Jesus. Children were considered to be lower-class citizens. Now, that was during Jesus' time. Today, however, I think we're, on the actu- we're actually on the opposite end of the spectrum. We don't live in a time where children are exploited, but we live in a time where children are idealized, or even worse, idolized. How do we view children today? We view children as um, people who are innocent, pure, like fine china sets, worried that any action or words would traumatize them, scar them for life, that every action would either lead them straight to heaven or to hell. And what do we do? We shape our entire lives around our children. We shape our entire schedules around their schedules, around their studies and their potential successes. Parents, if we are honest with ourselves, we often find our sense of identity in the lives of our children. Two ends of the spectrum. One is neglect, abuse, exploitation. The other is idolization and identity-seeking. What is it that Scripture is offering us? How is it that we should view children? Well, a few years ago, um, Pastor Kevin DeYoung uh, actually wrote on parenting. And uh, it resonated with me a lot. And because Kevin DeYoung, he writes, um, he, he notes how complicated parenting has become. He writes, parents are way more involved. Um, they have way more rules, way more expectations. He jokingly says, you know, the moment a child is born, he or she has to start listening to baby Mozart, start looking at, um, you know, uh, imperialist, uh, uh, impressionist paintings. There's uh, paintings of Monet's Starry Starry Night all over in pristine, and, and the children are in pristine pottery barn furniture. Pottery barn furniture. He jokes about how children nowadays with the... Um, the car seat laws that they can't leave their car seat until they're practically a teenager. He critiques how parents have become obsessive and impractically seeking perfection in children. In fact, the term uh, parenting or parenthood, the way in which we understand it, is actually, uh, was actually created around the 1970s. Before then, parenting was just about nurturing, feeding, uh, providing a roof, and instilling core values. But now, parenting has become obsessive, overbearing, way more involved, expectations, rules, dieting. And to offer some sort of solution, Kevin DeYoung, he says this as he reflects upon his own parents. He says this, quote, I look back at my childhood and I think, what did my parents do right? I watched too many growing pain reruns, 
and played a lot of Super Tecmo Bowl. By the way, I, I did that too. I played so much Super Tecmo Bowl. He says, I never learned to like granola or my vegetables, but yet I always knew that my parents loved me. They made me go to church every Wednesday and twice on every Sunday. They made us do our homework. They laid down obvious rules, the kinds that keep kids from killing each other. They wouldn't accept any bad language, and I didn't hear any from them. Mom took care of us when we were sick. Dad told us he loved us. I never found porn around the house or booze or dirty secrets. We read the Bible. We got in trouble when we broke the rules. And this is what he says. I don't remember a lot of powerful heart-to-heart conversations. But we knew who we were, where we stood, and what to expect. I'd be thrilled to give my kids the same. See, this is what I mean when I say the goal of parenting according to the Bible, is actually much more simple than the way we perceive it. We knew who we were, where we stood. You know, in some ways, our desires and hopes that we have for our children are way more complex than the desires and hopes that God has for our children. God simply wants our children to draw near to His Son, That's the goal of parenting, simply put. You know, if if you are a parent in this room, I mean, really ask yourself, what is your goal? What is the end of parenting for you? What is the telos, the vision? However you answer that question, I think, will reveal the idolatry in your hearts. Because what we desire for our children reveal what we worship the most whether it's education, success, recognition, happiness, a curated life, comfort, security, that is the object that you worship. See, it's not a coincidence that today's passage actually follows the story of the rich young ruler. See, after this story, there's this, uh, after this uh, section, there's a story of this young rich ruler who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, oh, you have to obey these commandments. And the young rich ruler says, I have done them. And what does Jesus say? Okay, if you really want to be my disciple, sell everything you have and follow me. And what does the young rich ruler do? He goes away, saddened, upset. Why? Because Jesus just revealed the idolatry in his heart. As parents, what we really desire for our children would show, reveal who it is, what it is that we actually worship. So that's the vision. Our vision for parenthood, for the children of our church, for the children of this generation, is to see them simply go to Jesus. So what's the mission? What's the method? How do we do this? Well, let's look at Ephesians 6, 4. It says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, one just side comment uh, that this verse uh, is uh, uh, telling us, the responsibility of spiritual nurture is primarily 
the father's responsibility. Okay. Now, however you divide the tasks in your household, you know, the cleaning, the cooking, the laundry, the chauffeuring, the kids around, however you divide the tasks, that's up to you. That's up to, you know, each uh, couple. But the task of spiritual nurture falls primarily upon the father's shoulders. Not a single amen. <laughs> oh, gosh. It belongs to the father. Right? Mothers are certainly called to help, as is their role. But fathers, fathers are mainly responsible. And this is quite a radical message, considering during Paul's time, during Jesus' time, was a patriarchal society where men really didn't do much around the house. Paul is putting the responsibility of nurturing in the faith upon the fathers. Now, this is what Paul says um, in terms of how is it that we can uh, bring our children to Christ. He gives a negative command and he gives a positive command. The negative command is this, do not provoke them towards anger. Now, if we look at other translations, I think uh, they capture just different nuances of this. But the NIV says, do not exasperate your children. Or uh, the New English Bible says, do not goad your children to resentment. In other words, what this verse is saying, this negative command is saying, hey, don't provoke anger or resentment in your children. And I think that's a really, really good, clear line that we ought not to cross when it comes to parenthood. That when we go from disciplining, in our discipline and instructions, when we cross over where they become angry and resentful, then we know that we've actually crossed the line. Discipline is best when it's short and sweet. I remember when I was young, right, I welcomed all sorts of discipline because I was a troublesome kid. But the discipline I didn't like, the discipline that led me towards resentment and anger, was the hour-long conversation after the discipline. It's actually worse. Don't provoke towards anger or resentment. Don't uh, irritate your children. Don't keep picking them apart. Don't nag them. That's what Paul is saying here. That's the negative command. But the positive command is this. Bring them up or rear them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, when it comes to spiritual nurturing, the Bible offers real, practical, concrete instructions. What does it say? It says, teach them, discipline them instruct them. The word here is paideia, which we get the word uh, pedagogy or pediatrics. And there's a sense of what? Correction, a sense of repetition, a sense of consistency. And what Paul is saying is this, as parents, what we ought to do is we ought to consistently, repetitively train our children up in the instruction of the Lord. And this is consistent all throughout Scripture. When it comes to parenthood, it doesn't tell us to take a laid-back approach, but it tells us to constantly teach, admonish, correct, train, instruct. The well-known Shema from Deuteronomy 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, 
the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. The command here is to what? Whenever you have the moment or the opportunity, when you walk, when you lie, when you get up, when you rise, when you enter the house, talk about them. Talk about how the family ought to love the Lord with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or simply Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Friends, when it comes to parenting, Scripture is quite specific. It gives concrete examples to do what? To teach, to correct, to repeat, to be consistent over and over and over again. And I find how ironic or how quite opposite our behavior is as Christians. You know, when it comes to academics, parents believe so much in training, drilling it in and again and again and again and again. We believe in training. When it comes to music, we believe in training over and over and over again. When it comes uh, to sports, we teach the importance of training and discipline. Hours put in will produce endurance on the field. It will produce fruit. But oddly, when it comes to spiritual matters, we rely on miracles, on instincts. We rely on Hail Marys. You know, plainly speaking, church, how much time do we actually spend teaching and instructing our children in the way of the Lord? Concretely, compare that to the time we spend entertaining them, teaching them math and science, the time that they spend on music lessons and physical activities. Just look at your bank statement, look at your calendars, and see all the lessons, the extracurricular activities, and compare that in a real concrete way with the amount of time we spend in instructing our children in the way of the Lord. Now, I am not saying all of that is bad, and church, you know me well that I am not in any way an extremist. However, if I can be stern for a moment, when I survey the church and when we just simply ask each other, hey, what are the ways in which you practically instruct and discipline your children in the Lord? There's really nothing. Our homes are void of prayer. Our homes are void of devotionals. Our homes are void of study in the Word. And we leave the task of spiritual nurturing to a once-a-week Sunday worship, that even that, we are so, so fickle. You know, in current event, you know, this, this sort of, um, you know, awakened me a bit, but, you know, during the pandemic, there were so many parent groups and unions, they, they, they got up, they were so adamant about school reopening during the pandemic. Even in the midst of a pandemic, parents were asking school boards to open in-person learning. They were pressuring daycares to open. Why? Because they understood how important in-person learning was. Why were parents willing to take on the risk of their child getting COVID 
at school or at daycare because it was so, so important to them. Now, I'm not, I understand this issue is not as simple as I'm making it out to be. But for the church, you know, I wondered how important was spiritual nurturing and discipline for us. If you really want to see, I suggest walk down that hallway, go to the Sunday school, enter the Zoom meetings that our Sunday schools have, and see the children there. You know, when public schools are almost at full capacity, children worship is not even at 20%. Friends, please don't be mistaken. I am not being a religious militant here. I am simply calling out the hypocrisy. This is not to shame us in any way, but I say this because we need to see how hypocritical we are. With their lips, they are near me, but their hearts are so far from me, says the Lord. Uh, There's a a corporation uh, by the name of um, The Family Room, and this corporation does a lot of advertising and consultant work for businesses. In 2005, uh, they ran a study on parenting, and the results that they found were seismic. The word that they used was tectonic. Now, its CEO, uh, George Carey, took this study and the results and presented it at a uh, regional TED Talk. And he said this, you know, very recently, the way in which uh, people parent has shifted dramatically. He shows a picture, um, and one of the surveys was this. If we can look at the picture, he says this. um, If you look at these pictures, right, which image best represents your role as a parent? The first picture is of um, an elephant, right, uh, behind the calf, uh, supporting it, allowing it to find its way. And uh, the other picture is a picture of the adult duck, the parent duck, actually leading Uh, his or her ducklings. Now, as he surveyed uh, parents, um, he asked, hey, where do you find yourself? Now, for for all of humankind, for the history of humanity, uh, parents have always saw themselves as leading their children, as instructing their children. But more recently, there's been a shift where the majority of parents now see themselves as supporting, behind. He goes on to say this, not only has there been a shift in the perception of parenting, but there's actually been a shift in the way in which they view their relationship with their children. And, he, and this was another question that um, really opened eyes. He says this, um, how many of you, if we look at the next slide, he says, how, the, among the parents who consider their children or who use the language of best friend with their children. He said that among, uh, um, he says that uh, among Gen Z's, 38% says that they're best friends with their children. 54% of millennials say they're best friends with their children, while Chinese parents, 81%. And he says, listen, it's great that we consider ourselves to be more democratic, more equal. It's, it, you know, it's great that we're more understanding and we're listening to our children. But he says this, as a result of this shift, parents are no longer parenting. 
Parents are no longer leading, and as a result, there's been an erosion in core values. He says, the family is no longer about anything except for the family itself. You know, this is coming from a uh, progressive organization and a very liberal platform. But Kerry says that the erosion of the family hierarchy, which existed everywhere for thousands of years, is not a good sign for society. Parents who abdicate responsibility to lead will not produce healthy families. You know, for me, this study was actually enlightening because if this is true for secular matters, how much more is it the case for spiritual matters? If our vision is to see our children go to Jesus, the mission then is to disciple our children so that they can live out the gospel in word and deed. See, the way in which we see our children go to Jesus is by careful, consistent, wise instruction, training, teaching, disciplining in the way of the Lord. And that's, that's the mission. Finally, redemption. Um, just to offer uh, some encouragement and motivation to the parents here. I, I want to be sympathetic because I understand that in some ways we all desire this. We all want this, right? It would be great if, um, you know, our homes could be like the church. But I understand that when the rubber meets the road, it gets really difficult. Schedules are tight. There's too much pressure. And this is a really, really difficult thing to do. I remember Alistair Begg once said, you know, he heard a man say um, that when he was young, he had six theories on parenthood, but he had no kids. Now that he has six kids, he has no theories on parenting. Yeah, it's true. You know, if you're a single, uh, please don't judge the parents. <laughs> if you are not a parent, please don't judge other parents. But here's, here's, here's a gospel encouragement for all of us. That Jesus' faithfulness towards your children is much stronger and deeper than your failures and your foolishness and your fears as parents. You know, if you look back at Matthew 19, Jesus says this, hey, don't hinder them from coming to me. Don't hinder them. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, the, for children to come to me is actually not an uphill climb. He's saying, listen, for children to come to me, it's not, like, it's not as difficult as getting your children into a prestigious club. Jesus is saying, listen, I am going to your children. They are coming to me, so get out the way. Don't hinder them. Jesus is revealing his heart, how he is willingly seeking your children. He's saying simply, get out the way. Don't hinder them. Your pessimism, your earthly ambitions, your idolatry, your identity seeking, even your insecurities, get those things out of the way. Do not let those things hinder the children from coming to me. You know, friends, the great encouragement is this. You know, God, He shares in our experience as parents. He knows what it's like to have a beloved son that's rejected by the world, that's scorned by mockers. God, as a father, knows what it's like to lead His own son 
through the pain of glory. And as a parent, God the Father, He went the length of rejecting His only Son to bring many, many sons and daughters to glory. You know, as you look back upon your life, how is it that you've come to Jesus? You've come to Jesus, yes, maybe through the instruction and the teaching and the training that your parents have given you. But you've also come to Jesus despite the failures that they made, despite the fears that they've had, despite their unfaithfulness and their inconsistencies. Yet through it all, Jesus has sought you. You have come to Him, and He has come to you. And likewise, friends, even for us, His faithfulness is greater and stronger than our own failures as parents, than our own inconsistencies. That is our hope this morning, that as God has called us to parent the children that is among our midst, to care for those whom God has given to us, our hope is that Christ's faithfulness would be stronger, greater, and deeper than our foolishness and our fears. Would you join me in prayer at this time?